We're in Genesis chapter 22. If you have your Bibles, open up with me to Genesis chapter 22. And um, if you don't have a Bible, download our app. Just really, really want to encourage you guys to bring your Bibles to church. I know it might sound weird to some of you, but, but um, you want to make sure that what I'm saying is from the book. The Bible says, now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he, that is Abraham, said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. First time the word love appears in the Bible. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So, check this obedience out, immediate. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey the lad and I will go yonder and worship, first time worship, the word worship appears in the Bible, and we will, I want you to check this faith out, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. Then he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. Many Hebrew scholars say it can also read like this. My son, God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told them, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, as, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And Father, we're just, uh, we're just in awe. God, we are in awe. Our minds, our hearts, our spirit are already making the connection of this story. God, to the story, to, to the gospel. Father, thank you. Thank you, God, that your love was unrestrained and that you gave what mattered most to you. And we pray today, Father, in light of that, in light of the greatest expression of love, that, Father, in our lives, there would be nothing that we would hold back. There would be nothing that we would hold on to. God, that we would not reduce you to a, a slice or a sliver of our life, compartmentalizing you and, and containing you in a safe place, having a piece of you to pacify or justify our conscience. God, you want so much more than that because you have a jealous love for us. And so speak, God. Speak to our hearts. God, we have not come to this place to hear the voice of man. God, we have come to hear your voice. Leave no heart unspoken to today. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. You know, Abraham loved God and he worshipped God. Abraham for sure was not a casual worshipper like so many Christians are. He built altars. He walked in righteousness. He was a man who prayed. He believed in God. He walked in faith. When those moments came, he took real steps. 
Uh, he was a man who gave of his possessions as an expression of worship to the Lord. And so, you, you know, as we consider Abraham's life from this moment, you know, as we've seen all the things that precede Genesis chapter 22, it is evident. It is evident that Abraham is not playing relational games with the Lord. And yet, his biggest test had yet to come. And I think for sure as we read this story, and you know, we, we, it's probably not the first time we've read this story. We're familiar with it. And so in a way, uh, I think sometimes we lose the sense of, we lose the sense of immediate impact uh, as, as we consider things we haven't considered before. Like Abraham hearing this for the very first time. Abraham could have never imagined, this is what I'm saying to you, Abraham could have never imagined that God would call him to something like this, that God would even say these words to him. Because, of course, Abraham had been waiting for the son of promise, and Isaac was the son of promise. And so, contextually, like, this didn't even fit into the narrative that God had been writing in Abraham's life. You know, I want to put this story in um, some consolidated terms um, because I want you to understand what, what is really happening here. God is saying to Abraham, take your only son whom you love more than anything, the fulfillment of the promise that I've given to you and the hope of the promise to be fulfilled. Slay him and burn his body as a sacrifice to me to ensure that you love me more than your son, more than the promises that I have given to you, more than anything. You know, to be worshipers of God, we must be willing to lay on the altar what we love to ensure that we love God the most. Let me just say that again. To be worshipers of God, and, and listen, you know, uh, thank God for the, the gathering of his people and these collective times of worship. You know, where we're singing songs to God. I don't know about you guys, but it feels good, doesn't it, when, when God's present and the Spirit of God is falling, you know, because, you know, there are times where you walk in with great anticipation and, like, in a spiritual sense, you're all lit up and on fire, and you're ready to roll before you get through the door, you know, you're just excited. And then there are other moments, you know, there are other moments where it's like, you're more like a, you're, you're more like a smoking flax than a raging fire. It's like, you, you know, there's barely a spark there. Spiritually, you can't connect the dots. You walk in and it's like, well, I love God, I do love God, but I just, I just don't feel, I just don't feel connected to him. Um, I'll, I'll just tell you right now, there are times where I'm preparing for a message and it's like, man, I, you, can, you can feel before the message is preached, what God is going to do. And then there are times where it's like, God, I have no clue how this is going to come together. I mean, this doesn't, right now, as I'm thinking about it, it doesn't even make any sense to me, these poor people today. And then, and then, then you're in the presence of God with his people, and, and he's moving, and we're singing praise, and all of a sudden, there's this collective fire that God begins to breathe life into. Thank God for those moments, but you know, yeah, yeah, that's right. And not to get sidetracked today, but you know, I mean, we've gone through so much and people have had to quarantine and isolate and, and I still have people coming to me uh, two years after COVID started and they're like, Pastor, you know what, this is my first service back. And, um, and they say, you know, in person is so much different than online. And there is nothing like being in the presence of God and his people. There's nothing like it. And so, you know. But you know, we don't just reduce, we don't just reduce worship down to singing collectively together or on our own. Uh, when we're talking about worship, we're talking about really laying everything on the altar. We're talking about understanding that in our own lives, there is a hierarchy of loves. We, we understand that as worshipers of God, that there is one throne on our heart, and there is only one that deserves to sit on that throne. And, and if we're honest with each other, you know sometimes, even as Christians, there are things that displace God from the throne of our hearts. And by that, I simply mean our Isaacs, our Isaacs can become idols, the things that we've been praying for, the things that we've been beseeching God for, the things that we've been desiring in our life as God is just so gracious and faithful to bless us and he brings them into our life. Sometimes, you know, we begin to get on this trajectory where we start to hold on to those things. 
We start to hold on to those answers of prayer in a sense where they begin to vie for and fight for a place that only God deserves to have. The very, and this is mind-blowing, but it is reality. The very blessings that God gives us, if we're not careful, can become abominations before him. They can become abominations before him. And because we begin to, and we would never articulate it like this, but practically this is how we start to live. We begin to worship those things instead of the Lord. And you know, they can be good things. More often than not, the things I'm talking about aren't necessarily like straight up evil things. They're good things. You know, you pray to be used by God, and so God stirs the gift within you, grants you a ministry opportunity, and pretty soon your focus on that has taken, has taken away your devotion to the Lord. You know, you're a single person, and you've struggled in that place of singleness, and you've begged and pleaded and besought. You have done everything on the face of this planet to get God to answer this prayer. And you know what God does? God answers the prayer. And he blesses you with him, or he blesses you with her. And, and, and the danger sometimes is that that him or that her can begin to replace the him, the one that deserves to be at the center of your life. You know, you, you've, you've always had this dream of having a family, you know, having kids, and so God blesses you with that. And pretty soon, maybe the kids, or maybe the money, or the business, or the possessions begin to take the place that only God deserves to have. You know, there are hierarchies of love in our life, and only God deserves to sit at the top, right? Jesus was making this point, he was talking about discipleship, and he said this in super strong words. And I'm telling you, as I read these words today, uh, they're, they're so strong today that there are people who try to explain them away. He was talking about discipleship, and he said this, Luke 14, 26. He said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his or her own life also, he cannot be my disciple. He cannot be my disciple. Now, there are many people who are like, wow, I never knew that Jesus endorsed hate. Of course, that's not what he's saying. He's not, he's not endorsing hatred because, you know, this is the same Lord who said, you've heard that it was said uh, to those of old that you shall hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies, and so, of course, he's not endorsing hatred. The word hate can also be translated to love less, right? To love less. Jesus is saying, hey, listen, make sure, uh, and in particular with relationships, you have things in the right order, right? You, you, are, you are ensuring that you love me. You have a greater love than me. Lord, I'd love to follow you, but you know what? I've got to be present for when my father dies so I can bury my father. Hey, you're not worthy. You're not worthy of following me because you need to take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me, he said. You know, you, there is a hierarchy of loves. And Jesus is saying, if you really want to come after me, if you really want to be my disciple, then I need to sit at the top. And if, in fact, you're not willing to live like that, if you're not willing to rearrange your life, if you're not willing to rearrange your life, you cannot be my disciple. You know, salvation is a gift, but truly following Christ will cost you everything. It will cost you everything. And, 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 and let me just say, let me just say, this is not a popular message. This is not a popular message. You know, and some ministry philosophies operate like this. Well, listen, as long as we've got a room full of half-hearted, lukewarm people who have, you know, given God a slice of their life, that's success to us. Well, it's not success in the eyes of God. It's not success in the eyes of God because God is not looking for a room full of lukewarm, half-hearted individuals who have compartmentalized him, right? You know what I'm talking about, have given him a slice, slice have given him a section, you know, for whatever reason, maybe they want to pacify themselves. There's a bunch of... <laughs> There's a bunch of crap in their life. There you have it. And you know what? They don't want to give it up. 
They don't want to give it up. And so what do they do? They, get, they, they, they create a little compartment, a little religious compartment. And they say, well, you know what? I've got, I've, I put him in his spot. And so I can continue to do this because I've, I've pacified that sense of guilt in my mind. At least I've given him something. He doesn't want just something. He wants everything. He wants everything. And that's what the real call to discipleship is. So, so this is what he is doing in Abraham's life. The Bible says that God tested Abraham. God tested Abraham. Now, listen, contextually, what God was calling Abraham to do was not uncommon. It was a common practice among the heathen nations to sacrifice their children to God. And so it wasn't as if this was out of Abraham's context. Now, now listen, understand that we have the full canon of Scripture, like our understanding of God, is so much fuller and complete than what Abraham had. Abraham had a, a sliver, a slice of revelation, albeit beautiful. It was nothing compared to what you and I have today. And so we can't conflate the two, right? Abraham, like he hears something and it's within his context. God knew all along that the second Abraham's hand went up with a knife, knife in it, that the angel of the Lord was going to stay his hand, right? That this whole thing would not go full process. God knew that. And so, you know, you read the story and you think, well, why? Why would God do that to Abraham? And our why sometimes, like if you're honest, I know there's a couple of you out there that think this, it's kind of a why in the sense of objection, like, how could a God of love do that? How could a God of love treat his servant like that after everything Abraham's been through, after e everything Abraham has sacrificed, after everything Abraham had, had done for God? And you know what? This is like part of the problem in our lives. We inflate ourselves sometimes to be even greater to God, and, and, and we make God a debtor to us. Almost as if because Abraham has done all these things that God now is indebted to him to treat him a certain way. And I just want to flip that perspective today because we shouldn't be saying why or how in the sense of objection. We, we should be thinking, wow, God, how could you give us such a great privilege that you would allow us to be your sons and daughters? Knowing, God, that this is the way this is your way with your children. This is what you do. You test us. Test in the sense of refining. Test in the sense of perfection or perfecting. God, who are we? Like, let's just flip that whole perspective. God, who are we? We're, we, we resonate with the psalmist that said, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you would even consider him? God, that you would consider us? Who is Abraham that you would speak his name? Who is Abraham that you would call him out of Ur? Who is Abraham that you would give him such great revelation while he was in the midst of his own polytheistic paganism, and yet, God, you were merciful and gracious. What a privilege, what an honor. The psalmist, as he's thinking about this in a self-reflective way, concludes, we are just dust. We are just dust before God. I'm not gonna sing a Kansas song right now, so don't. I didn't say we're dust in the wind. I said we're dust before God. This is the way of God with his children. Listen, the purpose of testing isn't pass or fail. It is the process of growing through refining. It is the process of God perfecting our faith. Sometimes, you know, when we're in a test, we, 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 it, God is testing us. Like, we can be tested by many things, but when it is the Lord that has got us in that spot, sometimes we have this idea that it's like a pass or fail thing, and that's how God, that's how God views it. And it's not pass or fail. It is a process, a growing process, a refining process, a shaping process that God has us in. Tests don't reveal to God what he doesn't see, they reveal to us what we don't see. Like, you know, in this situation, God knew exactly how Abraham was going to respond. The opportunity really was more for Abraham than it was, in a sense, for God. And when you and I are going through the refining fire, when you and I are in that process, when God is tugging on your heart and he's saying, hey, do you love me? Then lay this down. Set this on the altar. 
reorder your love hierarchy so that I sit on the top. When God does that, what he is doing is not discovering what he does not know because God knows how we're going to respond before we respond. God is refining us. God is shaping us. God is revealing to us because, you know, the fact is this. You can talk all day long about how you would respond in the middle of a test or a trial, but you really won't know until that test or trial comes. God speaks to us and he identifies areas that need to be devoted to him, sins that need to be repented of, idols that need to be abandoned, faith that needs to be strengthened. And listen, this process never stops. You're never going to arrive at some point in this life and say, hey, all of the refining and perfecting is done. There's no more shaping left for God to do. No, that's not true. You've been walking with God for 30 years, for 40 years. Well, God bless you. You've not arrived. Stop acting like it. Stop acting like it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Stop acting. I'm going to get on a horse. <laughs> Stop acting like you have it all together and no one else does. Stop acting like these young believers are, are so lost, almost as if when you were a young believer, you had it all together. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. Jeez. <laughs> oh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, uh, moving right along. You know, Peter, Peter is speaking to a group of churches. They're going through a difficult time, and he says this to them. He says, in this you greatly rejoice. So now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. Why? Why? That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter says, hey, listen, you're going through a hard time and you're grieved, but let me tell you something. There's purpose in this. God's doing something. God is refining you. He's testing your faith by fire. You are in the crucible of affliction. And instead of going around the mountain of why, you need to stop and understand what it is that God is doing. He is shaping your faith. Listen, if you get stuck on why today, you will never experience the power of God for tomorrow. Right? You will be so consumed with why God has allowed this particular thing that you will not get out of the trial what it is that God is seeking to teach you. And maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe you're in a time of testing. Today I would just want to analyze this victory of Abraham's because it's an astounding victory. It's an extraordinary thing that Abraham was called to do, and what we see in this story, and I'm sure there's so much more depth to it than what's contained in these verses, but we, what we see is that uh, Abraham experienced a victory. Why did he experience a victory in this time of testing? Well, number one was this, he was prepared for it. He was prepared for it. He was prepared for this moment because of prior obediences. He was prepared for this moment he was prepared to have victory, to succeed in this test because of prior obediences. You know, I was sharing with my wife this story, and she was the one that, that, that brought this to my attention. You know, that Abraham had been built up in faith over the course of time, right? It wasn't as if God started with the most difficult trial to test him with immediately, there were little trials all along the way. There were little difficulties. There were little challenges. Was Abraham perfect? No, he was not. But he learned to be obedient. He learned that God would always be faithful. There were trials along the way that over the course of time built his faith up. You know, it's kind of like, say today, I would never do this because... I hate to say I'd never do it, you know, but I hate running, you know. But if, to, if today, if today I'm like, you know what, I think I want to run a 5K. Um, I'll tell you what, I wouldn't go out tomorrow and run a 5K because uh, an ambulance would have to come and, and would have to cart me away and it would not be good, right? I'm smart enough to know as I do my own personal self-evaluation that I am in no condition to run a 5K. So what would I do? Well, I'd download an app. Or I'd hire somebody else to run it for me, you know. I mean, that might be the easiest thing. But I, I download an app. You know, there are apps that you can get that train you to run a 5K. And so I'd download one of those apps, and, and I'd start tomorrow. 
and the app would uh, just lay out for me the order of how to approach a 5K. It goes something like this. You run for 30 seconds, you walk for 90 seconds. You run for, anybody want to do this with me? Raise your hand. No, don't because I'm not doing it. You run for 30, you walk for 90. And then what happens is over the course of time, it begins to shift. The larger volume of time goes for running because, you know, you have greater stamina. You have a greater capacity to do that because you've been being built up over the course of time. And this, this illustration is exactly what happens as you're walking with the Lord. God is building you up over the course of time. There are little trials every single day that God is placing within your life that are intended to build your faith up so that when you get to the big one, when you get to the big one, you will succeed and not fail. Now listen, this means that when the little trials come, you need to be obedient. You need to be faithful. You need to be being built up because if you're not faithful in the little ones, you will not be faithful in the big ones. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Every day God is placing before you opportunities to trust him in things that maybe even seem unreasonable to do, like this was with Abraham. But as you are faithful over the course of time, he will be building you up to sustain the big trial when it comes. The second thing that I see here is that he responded right. Now, this is super simple, but I just want to walk through the process here. There's, there's a call that God gives to Abraham, simply says his name, Abraham, right? There is a response that Abraham gives. He said, here I am. I'm not sure if he re regretted that later or not. He's like, man, I just shouldn't have said anything. We'll talk about that in a second because some of you are doing that right now. There's a response that he has. He says, here I am. There's a command that God gives in verse 2, right? Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I'll show you. And then there is obedience. There is obedience. And there's not just obedience, but there's faith. And there's not just faith, but there's worship. Because it was obedience and because it was faith, it became worship. But I just want you to consider today how prompt his obedience was. The Bible says in verse 3, right, there's this crazy wild command that God gives to Abraham. And then right away in verse 3, the Bible says, what did he do? What did he do? He rose early. He rose early in the morning. There's no doubt that this was a sleepless night for Abraham. There's no doubt that in his mind he was, he was struggling with what it was that God was directing him to do. But, but what I love about Abraham is this, his response of uh, obedience was prompt, it was right away. He did not delay, he did not delay because Abraham had walked with God long enough to know that delayed obedience is disobedience. Abraham had walked long enough with God to know that delayed obedience was disobedience. I think Abraham knew, Abraham knew himself, look, what you don't want to do in a situation like this, he says to himself, Abraham, is let time go by. Because the more time you let go by, the more likely you are to talk yourself out of this. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like God gives a call and sometimes, you know, instead of being obedient, what we do is we just, we go right to denial. God gives a call, it's not easy. It's not that we don't love God, but we've got our priorities upside down. Or there's this thing that has taken a place or a position in our heart that God doesn't want it to have. And so God says, hey, you need to do some reordering here. You need to let this go. You need to hand this over to me. And, and you know, instead of being obedient right away, what we do is, well, that probably wasn't God. That probably wasn't God. Or we do something like this. Well, that's an awesome message for him or for her. And, and so, you know, you leave the service and you post it on social media as a message for everyone else that God intended for you, right? And you might even do something like, hey, man, this really ministered to me today. Thought it would bless you guys. But the fact is you're straight up lying. Like you're lying. You've just framed it like that to look spiritual. But the truth is this. You did not, you did not receive the message. You say, well, how can you say that to me, pastor? Because the only way you know if you received it is by walking in obedience, that's how you know. Sometimes when God speaks to us, our response is denial. Sometimes it's anger. Sometimes it's anger because that thing has really gotten a hold of our hearts, right? It's become something that we love to an extent 
that it's actually become unhealthy for us. And it doesn't have to be a bad thing, it can be a good thing. And we've become so connected to it, we have such an affection for it. Paul said this to the church at Corinth. He said, you guys, you know the problem isn't my words that I'm speaking to you, the problem is your affections. You have an affection for the things of this world. And so my word doesn't even get to you because you're holding on so tightly to things that you need to let go of. And, and so sometimes, you know, our response is anger. Like, God, really? God, how could you call me to do this? And we're so mad. And that anger, what it reflects, the reality of what it reflects is this. Not that God is wrong, but something's wrong within us. Something is wrong on the inside. Maybe, maybe our response is to bargain with God. Well, God, I don't really want to give this, but will you take this? You know, I mean, we, we, start, we start bargaining with God because we don't want to really give this thing over, but you know, God's easy and God can be bought and he's gracious. Careful. Careful with that. I mean, really, really think that through. Who are you talking to? Who are you talking to? Is God so trivial that he, you can bargain with God and negotiate with God like he's some street vendor on the streets of Las Vegas? Like, I, that is, that, that will lead you into blasphemy, right? God is not to be bargained with. God is to be obeyed. Maybe it's depression. You know, it's like, oh man, you know, God, you're such a bummer. <laughs> and then, is, then you just tell everyone, following God's just so hard. It's so hard. <laughs> you know, the things that we have to give up and the things we have to sacrifice. And, and uh, you know, try carrying a 100-pound patibulum to Calvary and then having your wrist nailed to it, right? Somebody said this, they said it's just really solid. Our faith is not really tested until God asks us to bear what seems unbearable, to do what seems unreasonable, and to expect what seems impossible. Is that your life? Is that, is that, is that my life? Our faith is not really tested until God is a- asks us to bear what seems unbearable, to do what seems unreasonable, and to expect what seems impossible. You say, well, I've not experienced that with God. Well, then either one, you're really not a Christian, or number two, you've, you've boxed God in, and you've dictated to him what he can do and what he can't do. Because if you're really walking with God, that happens all the time. It happens all the time. Now, there are some people who, when I talk about this story, they're like, yeah, you know what, uh, Pastor Abraham, he didn't struggle with this. He was a man of faith. He just obeyed right away, and, and there, was no, there was no issue within his heart. And really, it's the same way for me. I never struggle with obedience when God calls me to do something. And I'm like, you're a liar. You're a liar. You're the last person on the face of the earth I'm ever going to trust. Because you know, Abraham did struggle. You know that there had to have been a tug of war within Abraham's heart. You know, it, there had to have been some sense of, God, this doesn't make sense to me. God, this seems unreasonable. And yet what I love about Abraham, and, and you know, it's interesting, it's interesting that the scripture does not disclose what was happening in Abraham's life. There's only one thing that we know, and I'm going to get to it in just a second. But what I love about Abraham was he was, obe- he was obedient in the midst of the struggle. He was obedient in the midst of the struggle. He didn't wait to make it reasonable. He didn't wait to figure it out. He didn't push pause on his obedience. He was obedient right away. He did what God called him to do, and it all was working out while he was walking in obedience and while he was walking in faith. And, you know, those hard times when you do that may be more pleasing and honoring to God than anything else. There was a faith conclusion that Abraham made. Now, I know you know this, but I just want to say it because I think it'll, um, I think it'll enlighten this piece, right? The word conclude means to make a judgment or a decision that settles a matter. It means to make a judgment or decision that settles a matter. So I kind of see it like this. Abraham hears this. It, there's no way that it's easy. I mean, he's got a sleepless night. For sure he's praying to God. He takes a step of obedience, and in the midst of the struggle, right, he makes a faith conclusion. He makes a decision that settles the matter once and for all for him. And we know this is the case because Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 says this. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, and Isaac your seed shall be called. Listen, there's obedience. 
Like we got that part, but what was going on in his heart? The Bible says concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Did you get that? So, so he's got this struggle. He walks in obedience, but he does so because there was a conclusion he came to. There was a judgment. There was a decision that set, settled the matter once and for all. And it was this. God was able to raise Isaac up from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. In other words, in other words Abraham, as he's walking, he comes to this faith conclusion, and it goes something like this. God, if he is the son of promise, if this is the one through whom all nations will be blessed, and through whom you will make me, you will make from me a nation that can't be numbered, then even if I slay him, God, you will resurrect him. Even if I slay him, you will resurrect him. And, and listen, the, the potential spinning in Abraham's life, like walking around the, the mountain of why. Why God this and why God that. All of it came to a grinding halt when he made his faith conclusion. You know, when, when we had Boston, our Rottweiler, uh, when he was a little guy, we used to love to take, and we do this with all of our dogs, because, you know, it's equal opportunity in our house. But we take a little flashlight, and you know, you shine the light on the ground, and you, you roll it in a circle. Do you guys ever do this with your dogs? Oh, no, I'm going to get an email. Someone's going to be like, you are just cruel. You're cruel. And the dogs, just, they chase the light, right? They just go around in a circle, and, it, and they chase this mirage. They chase this illusion. And there's, there's nothing productive out of that, except it brings a lot of joy and humor to the person who's doing it. You know, maybe you've done that to your cat, um, which this is a great moment just to say, dogs go to heaven. <laughs> what? I didn't finish that sentence. You guys did. And I'm really shocked right now at you. I'm just messing with you. God loves cats too. But, <laughs> but you know, like I had you until that part right now. And now you're just so mad. You're like, I'm out of here. But you know, listen, sometimes we're like that. Sometimes we're, we run in circles, we're following, we're chasing this illusion. It's not really real. It's, it's what the world has to offer to us. It lays it out there like there's substance, like there's something real to it, like it's going to satisfy you, like it's going to bring purpose. And you know, you chase it, and you're just chasing a mirage. You're chasing this image, and you literally are getting nowhere. Or God has called you to lay something down, and, and you're, you're going through this process of denial or anger, or you're bargaining with God. And, and you know you're running in this circle and God is like, stop running in a circle. Stop running in a circle. The thing you're chasing is a mirage. I mean, the fact is, in this life, God may never tell you why. God may never tell you why. And, and, just, and I'm not being insensitive because I know a lot of us have questions about things that really matter or they really hurt. But this process of you chasing the why for an answer is not only a mirage, it is unbelievably unproductive in your relationship with the Lord. It is keeping you from taking steps of obedience and steps of faith. And you know, the, the only way to get that cycle to stop, and, and listen, this is not like, this is not a cycle that's just level, it's a vortex. It is a vortex that will pull you down. And the only way to stop it is for you to come to a faith conclusion, to settle the matter, to place it in the hands of God, to set it on the altar, to bind it and set it on the altar, along with all of the unanswered questions, along with the struggle that seems to, to you to be unreasonable, along with the anger and the frustration and the unmet desires because you've been holding on to this thing that's been meeting some sort of need in your life and God has been saying to you, I didn't intend that for that. I didn't intend that for that. I intended me for that. That desire, that need in your heart was never intended to be met by him or met by her. It's been intended to be met by me. And so, so, so you need to, listen, you need to lay it up on the altar and trust that God will do it. Listen, this is the conclusion he came to. He believed that he who promised was able to provide. He who promised was able to provide, even if it meant that the thing needed to die so God could resurrect it from the dead. Are you, are you willing to lay it on the altar to make that faith conclusion to stop the spinning, because listen, when you do that, 
when you do it, it turns into worship. It turns into worship. He was prepared. He responded in obedience. But there was something that happened in his heart that turned this moment into worship. And I don't think that Abraham was, was just exaggerating when he said to the servants, hey, listen, the lad and I, the lad, by the way, is probably 30 years old. I mean, anywhere from 18 to 30, commentators say. The lad and I are going to the mountain to worship, and we will come back. And in his mind, it's like, God may need to raise him from the dead, but we will come back. When Abraham said worship, he meant worship. He meant worship. There was something that happened in Abraham's heart. There was a determination that he made. Abraham was not just being obedient on the outside while he was miserable and faithless on the inside. And sometimes our obedience is like that. You know, we're doing it. You know what, God, all right, I'm going to do it. You know, on the outside, we're complying, but on the inside, we are miserable and faithless. Is that really worship? Is that really worship? Well, at least God's getting something. Well, that's not, that's not all that God wants. You know, we're like that compliant little kid that's being obedient to their parent and following the command, but on the inside, they're raging with frustration and resentment, resentment. Sometimes our obedience, while obedience is good, sometimes it's filled with resentment, and resentment will keep you from, from worship. Obedience is better than disobedience, but worship is the best of all because worship is not only action, it's attitude. It's not only action, it's attitude. Listen, today, let me, let, let me just wrap this up by saying to you, God may not call you to do what Abraham was called to do. The fact is, he's not probably going to do that. I'm sure he's not going to do that. But I'm guaranteeing you, if you belong to him, he's calling you to lay down something. If you really are a child of God, in this life, there will always be something for you to lay down. Maybe today, you're in this room, you're watching online, you're not a child of God. You've never put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. There's been this thing that's been happening in your life that's prompting this desire you're seeking. You know, you're thinking thoughts about God you've never had before. And you're considering things like having a relationship with him, but you're, you're resistant, Today, the word for you is this, stop resisting God and trust in his son. Lay your life down because he laid his life down for you. But listen, today, if you want to stop squabbling over the little things with God, you need to give him everything. Sometimes it's those little things that we're arguing with. And to solve that issue, what we just simply need to do is give him everything if he doesn't have everything, it won't be easy, easy for you to lay down anything. If he doesn't have everything, it will not be easy for you to lay down anything. And this is what Paul meant when Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I think, you know, when Paul wrote these words, I don't know. I don't know if he was thinking of this moment in Genesis 22. I mean, for sure, the concept of sacrifice was, was on his mind. He said this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So he's, he's like, listen, I appeal, I beseech, I'm pleading with you, I'm begging you. I'm begging you. The apostle is saying, I want you to get this. You have to understand this. Don't tune me out. Don't turn the message off. Don't disregard what I'm saying to you. By the mercies of God that you present your whole being, body, mind, intellect, emotion, and spirit. He's talking the to totality of our being. To offer it to God, to lay yourself, your life on the altar, which is in fact our spiritual worship, the very expectation of God. Today, I'm not just saying lay a thing on the altar, I'm saying lay yourself on the altar, there may be a thing. There may be a thing that you know God has been compelling you to let go of, to, to reorder the hierarchy of love in your life. But it may not just be a thing that you need to lay down. You may need to lay your whole self down. Now, listen, you might be thinking today, well, why would I do that? Why would I do that? And my answer to you is this, and I think Abraham could have hardly imagined that in this moment he was laying down the greatest picture in the Old Testament of the gospel. He could have, he could have never imagined. 
right? We read this in hindsight, and as we read the story, we think, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but should have everlasting life. Like, I mean, we, when we read this, we think of John 3, 16, the terminology, the typology, the phrase, the phrasing of what happens in Genesis 22 is a picture of, like it is a foreshadow. God is laying the groundwork. God is implanting this image in our mind through this small story that ultimately would point to the greatest story of God the Father delivering his own son to a cross so that through faith in him, you and I might be born again, that the chains and the power of sin might be broken in our lives. Think about the typology here. Isaac was a son that was loved by the father. Jesus was a son loved by his father. Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son. The father, God the father, sacrificed his son. Abraham and Isaac walked up to Moriah together. The father and Christ went together. Isaac offered on Mount Moriah. Jesus was crucified on the very same mountain. Isaac carried the wood of the altar. Jesus carried the wood of the cross. Isaac was laid on the altar. Jesus was nailed to the cross. Isaac submitted to Abraham. Jesus submitted to the Father. Isaac was silent. The Bible says, as a lamb that was led to the slaughter, so he opened not, speaking of Jesus, so he opened not his mouth. The Bible says, and Abraham, speaking to his servants, said God would provide a lamb. And John 1.29 says, Behold the Lamb of God that was slain for the world. Look, when we connect the dots together, what we discover is this, that God did this for us because he loves us. God did this for us because he loves us. I mean, there's this amazing narrative that he's written across the history of time to declare his great love for us. And this is the response, the response for us individually. And listen, I'm speaking collectively to you now, but understand God's spirit is speaking to you directly. Just as, just as God said, Abraham, God is speaking your name. God is speaking your name right now. God has this message for you because he wants you to connect the dots here. And, and the first dot is this, God, you did this because you love me. And the second dot is this, because of love, I'm laying this on the altar. God, because of love, I'm laying my life on the altar. God, not because of guilt, not because of shame, not because my wife has been browbeating me, right? Not because I want to pacify my conscience, not because I want some relief from the shame that I've been dealing with. God, not today because I want to compartmentalize you and put you in this place and just access you when I want you or when I need you. God, not because of that but because I know you love me now in response, in a love response to you, Father, I am laying. I know that to follow Christ means that I have to lay my life completely down and I need you to set you as the greatest love of my life. It's a love response to him. Are you willing to make that today? Are you willing to take the thing that you've been holding on to and clinging to that is that, that maybe was a, a, a blessing that God had desired for you, but now has in a way dethroned him from your heart or has become an affection, taken a place that God does not desire? Are you willing to lay that on the altar? Today, are you willing to lay down your life afresh and anew? Because this is the right response to the gospel for us. Let's pray together. And Father, thank you. God, we are so grateful for... Jesus, your son, and we don't want to miss today the message that you have for us. God, we don't want your word to fall on deaf ears. God, we don't want your word just to pass through. And so, please, by your spirit, we pray, settle your word in our heart and help us Help us to know that we've received it by being obedient, by walking in faith, and by worshiping you. Today, we're going to close our service a little differently than normal. And, and what we're going to do is this. We're going to have the follow-up leaders come forward today, and they're going to stand right in front of the stage. And 
Tony's going to lead us in a song of worship. And, you know, today, if you've not put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, we want to encourage you to come forward. You know, if the stage was an altar, and sometimes it's called an altar, you know, if the stage was an altar, if the stage, this area is a place for you, symbolically, to acknowledge that you're coming to Christ in faith, that you're choosing to turn away from a life of unbelief and sin, and to respond to the love of the Father for you by receiving his Son, by saying yes to Jesus, trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, because that is the reason the Father sent the Son, that that wall of sin that existed between yourself and him would be wiped away. And that you would have communion and unity with God forever because of faith in Jesus. He was crucified on the cross for you. He was dead and buried. And he victoriously rose again on the third day. And today, maybe you've been chasing an illusion that the world has set before you. This idea that somehow these things in the world can satisfy your heart. And the fact is this, you've been running in circles. That can stop today if you make a faith conclusion and trust in Christ. Today, maybe as a Christian, you know there's a thing, there's a thing that you've been holding on to, and maybe it is something that's just ungodly, maybe even wicked and evil, and today, God is saying to you, do you love me more than this? Do you love me more than this? Will you lay this thing down? Maybe for you today, maybe there's a, there's a good thing that God has blessed, with you, blessed you with and, and yet there's a place it's taken in your life that only God deserves to have. I want to encourage you today as Tony leads us in a song of worship to come forward, to come down to the altar. I want to lead you in prayer. Maybe today you just need to re-consecrate your life to the Lord. Maybe today it's not a thing but maybe it's, it's your whole self. And you need to once again say, like Abraham said, God, here, here I am. Here I am. You know, maybe your walk has been good, but it could be better. And there's a, a step for you to take today. Let's all stand together this morning. And we just want to encourage you as you consider those things, as Pastor Tony leads us in a song of worship, I want you to come down to the front today. Maybe you're giving your life to Christ for the first time. Maybe there's a thing that you've been holding on to, and the fact is it's been holding on to you. You need to let go and release it to the Lord. Trust him with it. Come forward today. Maybe today as a Christian, you need to reconsecrate your life to God. You need to stop playing games with him. Come forward right now. I want to lead you in prayer.